0: hey everyone welcome to the honest as a mother podcast i am your host amanda and i am here to help break down walls have conversations and normalize all aspects of motherhood this shit is so hard we need to band together let down our walls and start talking about what motherhood is really like Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Honest as a Mother podcast. You're back with your host, Amanda. And today I have a very exciting guest. My guest today's name is Michelle. Michelle is a storyteller and a conversation starter, passionate about FASD awareness and education. Michelle loves building community and capacity and believes both thrive when we focus on the strengths and ability over systems and structures. Welcome, Michelle. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me tonight. I am so excited. Thank you so much. You're so welcome. It is my pleasure. I'm happy to be here. We, so Michelle and I met over Instagram. This is legit how all of my podcasts are starting lately. (laughs) Yep. <laughs> this is my friend. We met on Instagram. <laughs> uh, Michelle and I are also going to be co authors on the Momming Hard Project. So that's really where we met. So I have kind of talked about it in other episodes. So it's a book, and Michelle is going to tell some of her story here today and then again in the book. So make sure that when the book is out, you guys check it out because her story is amazing. So, yeah, I think we should just start with, I would love to hear more about your journey into motherhood.
1: Sure. I was one of those people that never thought about having kids. It wasn't on my radar. Um, I used to think I was a little bit different because everybody was thinking about having children and that's what they wanted to do. And then, I don't know, I turned 30 and something clicked and I said to my husband, like, I feel like, like I want to have kids. And he's like, yeah, for sure. And I did not expect that answer. <laughs> I was going to say that's
0: so so I'm like, yeah, cool, let's do
1: it. Yeah, let's, okay, well, let's do that. And we've been together for a long time anyway. And so we just kind of went about our business and thought, oh, we'll have kids. And like everybody else, you think this is how it works. We're just going to, you know, like we're going to be magically pregnant. And we have all these things that everybody does. We're like everybody else. Um, and what we came to realize that pregnancy fertility was a, a journey for us. I mean, that's a whole other thing that I could talk about for ages. But I was one of the people that did a few fertility surgeries and procedures and realized, The first time my intuition spoke to me was in a waiting room uh, at a fertility clinic. And I was like, I'm not meant to be here. Like the voice in my head, my intuition was like, this isn't for you. And I'm like, no, it's not. And I walked out of there free. And we started talking about adoption, just after that, and we became parents through adoption about, I guess two years after we decided that we were going to try and have children. Yeah. And that's what led us to parenthood.
0: No. And that is amazing. So I have so many questions, actually, because I've never actually got to to speak to someone about the adoption process. So I won't go into too much detail because I feel like we could get way sidetracked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How long does an adoption process take? And like, how do you even start? Like, you just wake up one day and you're like, okay, we're going to do adoption. But what do you, where do you start? It's
1: every person is different. We adopted through a family and children's services, children's aid. Agency. Um, Our adoption was kin adoption, which means our son is biologically related on one of the sides of our family. And I don't really divulge too much because he knows his story, but there's a lot of layers that come with it. So, what happened for us was we weren't intending this particular adoption. We're more than grateful, thankful, amazed that this is how it panned out. Really rough road. But um, for a lot of people, there's private and public adoption. I don't know anything about private adoption. We went through the public adoption route. Um, it's intense. It is a full on 100% scrutiny of your entire life your finances, yeah. your relationships, your friendships, your house. Do you have fire extinguishers? How do you plug things into? What kind of electrical do you have in your house? Do you have first aid training, police service checks, vulnerable sector checks, adoption checks? Your doctor does referrals, they talk to your employers. And now, this was in 2010. So there's like a, at the time it was a six week adoption training. So every week you went for two to four four hours, four hours of training um, where they kind of pack everything in. And honestly, back then it was a little bit of sugarcoating. It wasn't as authentic as I feel it could have been. We're all adults. We can handle it. Um, I do feel that they try to not deter people from adoption because public stigma beats them to it. You know, there's a lot of layers to adoption. Some people are doing it because they feel called to it. Some people are doing it because they're battling the infertility journey and they just desperately want a child. Some people haven't even resolved that infertility piece for them. So they tend to work with you on that. So for us, it didn't work the same way. You usually do six weeks of this intensive. It's the acronym is PRIDE. And then you have to have a home study process, which takes about six weeks. We were doing our simultaneously with transition visits. So we were thinking about adoption to... Nine weeks later, a two and a half year old living in our house.
0: Wow! Yeah, that's crazy.
1: Yeah, and again, it's there's such an amazing community. I'm sure you'll get listeners that will tell you that they've done it, or their friends have done it, or their family have done it. I'm very pro adoption, and it's really interesting in the adoption community. There's a large contingent of kin kinship adoptions, related adoptions, open adoptions, closed adoptions private adoptions, public adoptions. In our FASD community, we have a large component of adopted children, but by no means isn't an adoption issue there. I mean, I again, I can talk about FASD forever, but yeah, um, it's quite a journey. I don't see that much of, but I am not, might not be looking, you know, your algorithm kind of, it's just who we are now, so I'm not as active necessarily in the adoption community as I used to be, but yeah. It's a it's an it's a crazy roller roller coaster path. Roller coaster. And for some people it can take years, literally years.
0: Oh yeah, so, I can imagine yeah. it would be especially the whole like them going through every little piece of you with a fine tooth comb, right? Oh yeah. my gosh, like people thought they were insecure beforehand. Never mind yeah. worrying about that bill you didn't pay when you were sixteen or you know <laughs> you know what I mean. Oh yeah.
1: And being placed with the child, you know, it's a fit for the child and the family who's adopting them. And sometimes there are other family involved with the child you're adopting. Like there's different layers. It's not what you see on, on TV at all. Mm -hmm, (laughs) It is by no means what you see on TV. Um, I think the closest thing, there's a movie called instant family with Mark Wahlberg and Rose Byrne. It was the first time I've seen adoption depicted to what I feel is really authentic, what families go through, especially through the public children's aid system. It was really good. It was, uh, it, it was a bit triggering, but it was very much what I would say people go through in the public system, best depicted in a Hollywood way.
0: Oh, well, that's good to know because there's yeah. going to be people who want to too. Know, right? yeah Mark Wahlberg exactly it's very
1: funny and it's a really good movie
0: when I had first met Michelle we had kind of talked a little bit about managing our expectations and I know this is something you're really really passionate about and I thought I'd love to bring Michelle on and talk about this because I think as moms We have this expectation. Okay. So people can't see me, but my arms are like up in the air. But you have this huge expectation you put on yourself. I know I have a huge, huge expectation. Sometimes I even put on my kids. And it is probably the worst thing I've ever done to myself. And so I really want to dive into that with you. So your son has FASD. So I'm sure that plays a part in figuring out how to properly manage your expectations because. I'm sure you come into daily challenges that some of us don't where you probably were like doing whatever all of us do okay I'm gonna do this 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 and this all day and I'm gonna get everything accomplished and I'm gonna be super mom and then we all know that doesn't happen right so how like how did this all start for you how did you wake like did you just wake up one day and say I'm not gonna be super mom anymore It's a work in
1: progress. It is a work in progress. And I really have spent a lot of time thinking about this. My best friend and I are like, talk it through people. We talk about this stuff a lot. It is like, I really think that I was born in the seventies, raised in the seventies and eighties. My parents, there's nothing wrong with the way they parented. But for some reason, that big shift comes and my parents were not get down on the floor and play parents. It wasn't extreme as children are to be seen and not heard by any stretch. But I was always surrounded by cousins and friends. And I was an an independent kid. I was an only child for the first eight years of my life. So I just thought all kids were like me. You know, kids want to have imagination and all parents can, you know, do their housework and the kid will sit and watch TV and the house will be clean and the meals will be done and everybody's going to love the meals and everything's going to just be the way it was when I was growing up. Of course, there were days now, we all know, and we have to admit, when we become a mother, we respect our parents more, we realize what they actually went through. But times change, the speed of life changes, everything changes with every generation. And I think with our son, because you have to remember a little two and a half year old in the adoption world, if, you know, a person's personality is well formed before two and a half. Very fortunate that our adoption was a kin adoption um, and that I knew him. A lot of adoptive parents don't have that. So on top of bringing a child into your home, you're bringing their previous trauma. And people, I used to think trauma was a, like a car accident or something violent or horrible that had happened. I didn't learn that trauma is neglect or inappropriate attention. Trauma can be poor attachment. Trauma can be multiple caregivers. So in the adoption world specifically, we are managing these things all the time. So on top of having a child in your home, they're getting to know you. It's Even when you have your own infant that you have carried and given birth to, you're still getting to know that child. But the bond is very different. So you're working on bonding. We call it forming an attachment. So you have to think of forming an attachment with a a two-and-a-half-year-old. My son is hyper and has been hyper since day one. And I thought I could, where it really hit for me was, Um, I thought I could just manage it. He just needed to be loved more. I just needed to calm down. I needed to be more patient. I needed to pay attention. And none of that was working. But I wasn't going to ask for help because this is what I wanted, right? Mm -hmm. And you chose adoption. And many people, believe me, many people will tell you, oh, you're going to adopt and they make a face that you can't really see on a podcast. It's that, oh, adoption or oh my God, you're going to save a child's life. It's like, well, that's just a little bit of pressure, isn't it? Because I don't think that I'm going to save a child's life.
0: So the pressure wow, started then. I never then. thought of it yeah. like that. Yeah. Yeah. That's people so true. Like yeah, people so do it all the time. pressure.
1: Yep. Yeah. So I didn't think of it then. I was just going to keep plugging through. And what really impacted me was I started to see how life changed completely. You know, my job had to completely change. His needs were quite high. We didn't have a confirmed diagnosis. It was a suspected diagnosis. Two and a half is very young for a diagnosis of FASD. But, you know, I knew that this was going to be his diagnosis. So I'm trying my best to learn as much as I can. We were set up immediately with play therapy, which is in a form of attachment therapy. We were in that for two and a half years. Mm-hmm. Our therapist was amazing. I accredit several people in my circle and our team. I used to say my son comes with a squad who literally saved my life because I would sit in their office and I'd be like, I'm a horrible monster. I can't fix this. I don't know what's wrong. He won't sit still. He won't do that. And they would say, but there's a reason for that. And I have to be really honest. They were talking to me, but I was so sleep deprived and so in my head that I wasn't really listening to a thing they were saying. Yeah. You know, sleep deprivation and FASD is, is massive. Kids with FASD tend to have massive sleep issues. And so my son hasn't really, I can tell you the day it was January 26th, 2010 was the last day he slept in the afternoon. And it was the last time I got any kind of reprieve at all.
0: Um, It's devastating when those naps are gone. Just devastating. That's what I mean. I remember the day. I love that you can tell me the day. So my daughter, uh, so I know my daughter's going through that. So it's, we're feeling that with you. We put her in her room. She will not sleep, but it's like, oh, I feel you on that so hard. And I can still,
1: I mean, my son's 12 now. That was 10 years ago. And I can still feel it. Like it's like a muscle memory in your body. But those were dark days. Those were really dark days. And that's where I think I started putting all these expectations on myself. And I wasn't really realizing that I was just like I was bulldozing through life. Like I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. No, I'm fine. I'm fine. Because if I wasn't fine, I was totally like losing my Yeah. (laughs) And people would be like, you just need to calm down or take a break or go rest. But it's, it's not that simple. You know, a child like my son needs to be with his primary caregiver at all times. You, You couldn't just say, go to nanny and grandpa's. It wasn't an option. Mm-hmm. The dysregulation is unreal. So it was then that I realized that expectations and were set were un, unrealistic. And every day you wake up and you're like, doing it. I, I think if every woman just who's listening to this right now, men too, but mostly women, stop and think from the moment you open your eyes in the morning yeah. what your brain processes, we're still doing it to ourselves. You know, we're making sure that supper, we're thinking about supper as soon as our feet hit the ground in the morning and making sure that the lunches we provide are perfectly balanced and breakfast is all it's meant to be and limited screen time in the morning. Like we just, it's nonstop. And where does that come from? Because my mom said they didn't do that in the seventies. It was, you just did. They, my mom blamed social media.
0: I do think it's a science. Yeah, because you're right. Like, our parents didn't have that pressure. Like, I feel like my mom had similar pressures, but I don't think she was in her head as much as I am or you are or most of our generation is. And then I do think it's social media because you get on and you see moms being the perfect mom and their Pinterest lunches and their stupid crafts. (laughs) Stupid (laughs) craps. And you're like, cool, what my kid did today. He shoved something up his nose and he didn't die. And I thought that was great. (laughs)
1: Yep, yep, yep. And I remember that pressure because when you adopt, especially from the children's aid system, your child is not yours for at least a year.
0: So I was going to say that I feel like you would have this whole other layer of pressure because that child is quote unquote, not yours. Because I do know that I did know that, that for the full first year, they are quote unquote, not yours. Right. And then I also think you have this other layer of you have a child that has different needs. So now you've got that pressure. Plus you're trying to make them feel safe and loved in their new home and their new environment. And my God, I struggle sometimes making sure that I feel like my kids are loved and feel safe as a mom. You know, you yell at them one time too much and you're like, oh, I've totally like fucked them up. (laughs) Yeah. So then add this layer of now I have this child that I've I know has trauma and I want to make them feel safe and I want them to make them feel loved. My God, putting that pressure and expectation on yourself. and
1: Not just in kin adoptions, but because ours was a kin adoption, there was a lot of layers of personal stuff that went on there. Mm -hmm. A lot of probably I would consider it trauma on all sides involved. Mm -hmm. Um, And then even if you're not kin, you know, there could be an attachment to a birth family member. It doesn't have to be a birth parent that can be very challenging because you're trying to find that balance. But you're the one doing the work and you're the one putting in the time. And every time something happens, you know, my son, one day we went up to his crib and he was crying and he was sick. And he was one of those kids that just spiked a fever out of nowhere mm-hmm. and they would get so high and you couldn't get them to come down. And one day he wasn't feeling well and he cried from his crib and it looked like he had been bleeding from his mouth. Well, that was it. I was like, we have to go to Emerge. Like, we have to figure this out. and. I have like so many neighbors and friends and my I live in a court and it's awesome. And I'm asking them. And the one that I really needed to ask wasn't home. And the other one, her kid's the same age as mine. She's like, I don't, I think he's okay, but I feel like I would take him. And I was like, I have to take him to emerge. I have to, because really he's my responsibility, but he's not mine. And if something goes wrong and then you go to the hospital and on top of that, when they ring in his health card, the way the transfer of information happens there, the hospital's going, well, this name is here and what is this? And you're like, because it's in the process of being changed over. So it's like everywhere you go and you're in this wait, and then you're trying to like explain your whole life story while you're terrified and there's nowhere to sit and Emerge. It's so packed. And it turns out he just had like, a really bad cold and they think that he might have just banged his mouth on something. There was nothing in his mouth. And that was six hours. It's, it's first time parent. It's, you know, all of those other layers. And I really feel that I was, I do have anxiety. I was diagnosed really early adulthood, had it my whole life, but I was in this elevated state for probably three years, like elevated of making sure that everything had to be done a certain way. And then you know, where do I tell his story? Who's entitled to this? But how do I withhold certain things so that he's safe? You know, the first thing that Family and Children Services, our worker, was like, he needs socialization with other children. And I was like, well, I don't know how we do that. I don't have friends with small children. I do, but they, my one girlfriend, uh, her son and my son are exactly the same age. But, I mean, it wasn't that easy to just put him in a car without another adult in the car sometimes. And they were like, no, like daycare. And I'm like, daycare? I didn't factor in a budget for daycare and it, it was just panic, but then his daycare was clear across town and it was the best thing I could have done for him, but I will still to this day, never forget dropping him off. And he woke up with like red eyes and I know it wasn't pink eye, but I was like, oh, you are going to daycare today. Cause I'm so excited about taking him. And they were like, what's wrong with his eyes? Cause he was fighting me on just trying to even look at them. So they got really red. And I'm like, he's fine. Just wait. They'll settle. But my husband and I went out for breakfast. We hadn't done anything together. I don't even know when, but I had my cell phone just sitting there and my husband's like, you're not even here. And I'm like, well, somebody else has her baby. <laughs> and what if he takes off? Cause he was a runner. Oh boy. Could he run? And so I was afraid that he was going to run out the front door, you know, like it's all of these having to, when your child has additional needs, I feel like you're always my best friend. And I talked about this a lot. Like, you're on, there's a switch that's on all the time and you don't realize it until your phone rings. And instead of being like, Oh, just a second. It's the school. It's like, Oh my God, it's the school. You know, it's not going to be a runny nose. It's going to be a something's happening. But yeah, I think the expectation started then. And as I started to get better and actually start saying things to other women that make some women cringe and they make a face and I'm like, I don't care about your face. I surround myself with other women. Some of my closest friends are very blunt. I'm very fortunate that my closest friends live near me uh, because they were like, no, I've been parenting a lot longer than you. That's fine. Or, you know, when you're like, I, you know, I don't, I didn't miss him when I wasn't around him. Mm-hmm. And people is. look at you like, don't you miss them though? No. Yeah. No, it's okay. a, yeah. It's okay. Yeah. Or You'll be like, oh my God, I'm just so fed up today, but you're supposed to say right after, but you know, I love them so much. Oh my God, I love them. You don't have to say that. Right. We know. You but how you often? Can. Exactly. Re- look at Instagram stories. Even when you have really good people telling stories and like, it was a hard day today. And they're like, you know, I love them, but it's like, can we not just all agree that women love their children, moms and dads love their children,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and you're going to have to hold some space for Stop putting expectations on other parents and putting them on yourself when you only you're accountable to you.
0: Yeah. But
1: there's something that we do as women, right?
0: Yeah. And I think if you were to think about it, say you spent all the time that you have spent with your son, with your husband, you would divorce him <laughs> because nobody wants to spend that much time with one person. Yeah. And I've always said that my son goes to daycare Um, when I had my daughter, I sent him to daycare because it was like, I have this other one now, I need you to go. And then when she could go, I was taking days off work. I was taking vacation days on days they'd be in daycare, just so I just could lay on my couch and watch TV or something. And there was like this small part of me at first that would feel bad about it. But it's like, it is okay that I don't want to be with my kid in every second of the day. And I think people do forget that it's actually very healthy for our children to be away from us yes and to understand that mommy goes and drops me off and then she goes to work and then she comes back and picks me up and this place is safe i've always been a firm believer in it my son is like he has crazy social anxiety issues and he's only four and he's so afraid of being with other people and so what am i supposed to do hold them in with me all the time, that's not going to help him. What's going to help right. him is he needs to go to daycare. He needs to understand that I always come back. I'm never right. going to leave him somewhere that's not safe. So anyone that makes anybody feel bad for needing a break from their kids, like, come on.
1: And I just, you know, when we were on our, when we first met virtually for the, the co-author project with all of the other moms, one of the things I said was before I had a kid, I mean, I was 32 when my son came to us so i had a career i had hobbies i had interests i had friends and something happens where we have kids and then all of a sudden all we talk about is how much we all about we talk about is our kids mm-hmm. how we suck at parenting and how much we hate our bodies as women it's like it's like there's these just these two themes and you wonder where that comes from and i i firmly believe it's the expectations And once I let go of those, like, I still do it. I'm not, I'm not free. My house isn't bohemian. It's not like free for all in this house. I'm pretty strict. I like routine. I don't like routine and structure. My son thrives in routine and structure. I couldn't, it's still, there are times where I would say to uh, colleagues or my best friend, like, I can't do this anymore. Like, I want to get up in the morning and get dressed when I feel like getting dressed. You know, I don't want to get up in the morning because um, with FASD, the mo- with all kids, but really with FASD is structure, routine, same, 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 same. You cannot divert from that path. If you do, a lot of things could happen. It could be negative things that happen. There could be behavioral consequences and the other symptoms of FASD appear. But doing that thing every day, because in the back of your mind and your whole body, you're bracing yourself for impact. You carry that all day on top of having a job. You know, I've always had leadership jobs. I've always had jobs with a lot of responsibility. And I wore that as a badge of <laughs> honor. And I was not changing that because I had children. And now I'm doing this all day, managing all of his needs and expectations. And then all of that for my employer. And then I don't know where I became. I don't know who the heck I became. Like I got lost.
0: You need to lose yourself in motherhood. Like, yeah. I feel like every single mom loses a huge piece of who she is and because you're right you have this baby and i think it's a society thing again i i've had this conversation in other podcasts i don't know who in society puts these things into our brains and then we put them onto ourselves but you're right i i found like i got a slap in the face when i had my kids because i just remember like standing in my house and i really wanted to get to morton's coffee and i just I just couldn't go get coffee because there was this little child that had to come with me and I didn't make sure his diaper was changed and that it wasn't around feeding time, even though it was only going to be a two minute drive. It was like, Oh my God, I didn't expect this. I didn't realize this was going to be so much pressure. And then sometimes when you try and talk to it about other people, you get the, well, you're a mom.
1: And it's coffee, like make coffee at home. You're a mom. This it's is what like, we do. You're a mom.
0: Yeah. It's like, I just want to, to just rolled out my of, like, eyes. I can see that. <laughs> We are rolling our eyes, people. You're
1: rolling our eyes. You can't see that over your years. But yeah, it's and it's totally I remember being so upset once we had a neighbor and her daughter is the same. Her son was the same age as my son. But this kid was chill, like the chillest kid ever. So she could come across and have coffee with my next door neighbor who always sat outside and had her coffee in the morning. And her son would just follow her with his cars and just just be there. I could never go out. Because my kid, I swear to God, we let him, we did this once. And within two seconds, he was three doors down in their backyard. Fast moving kid. Another time he had made it across our street into a neighbor's unlocked car and turned off, turned on every button, bell and whistle. We didn't know we'd done it until their guest got in their car. All hell broke loose. Um, But it was that thing where I could never really, you couldn't turn your back for a second. So then I was like, look at me. I'm trapped in my own house these two women are standing right in that driveway and I can't even go out there and talk to them. And it's something that I get, I didn't talk about because I didn't want people to pity me and I didn't want, you know, we're very fortunate. Our friend circle understood that I was very strict with bedtime because there was no sleep and bedtime was a big struggle. It has always been, we had a small window where bedtime happened quite well. And so like, if all the neighbors were congregating because bedtime was early here it was like seven o'clock because we get up very early in the morning and we don't stop all day all oh, the neighbors wow. knew if we were going to sit outside I had to sit outside my house we didn't go anywhere because you, could, you couldn't take my son places he would be up and down people's stairs and you'd always hear a shower turn on and that's how you knew he, where he was because he would get that was his thing he would go into people's houses go in and turn the shower on
0: you know what that reminds me of my son and I just watched uh Oh my god, I don't remember what the movie was. Now We watched Home Alone, that's what it was. Yep. You know when they turn the taps on, they leave the taps on? That's what you just reminded me yep. of. So he yep. was a shit like to turn the He would that find
1: perfumes so... and colognes.
0: So you would could find... smell him and hear him. You'd be yep. like, I know where he is. Or like yep. you hear the shower turn on you're like, All I know where he is. the time. That's kind of handy. At least he wasn't like quiet, right? When your kids are quiet and you're like, shit, what are they doing?
1: Yep. And everybody knew where we went and everybody was pretty agreeable with it. But, and not once did somebody ever roll an eye or make it look like we were a burden, but then I would internalize that too. Totally. So we would Go over to someone else's house and everybody else's kid would sit and watch a movie. And my kid was spinning around in circles and going up and down stairs and wanting to play tag. And my, and then you could see the other kids being like, oh my God, would he just stop? And right. so then I was like, I started to get more and more isolated. I would go home earlier. I wouldn't even... You know, my husband and I were so struggling during this time because the changes were huge for him. You know, it was like all of our freedom. He's, you know, and he's a little bit older than me. So you get to this stage in life and now you're really confined to your home. And then as my son got older and I was able to understand him more and advocate for his diagnosis and get that diagnosis, the more I got into the FASD community, all I was encountering And there's nothing wrong with this. This is my disclaimer, if anybody can relate. I was only encountering really negative, pissed off parents. And I'm like, is this going to be my life? Until, you know, some really great support systems and a good friend pointed out that that's unresolved grief. You know, it's all of those expectations. You were going to have children. This was what life was going to look like. We're going to go to the park. We're going to have fun. And your kid is nothing like that. And you can go to the park and have fun but it's usually at times when other kids aren't at the park and it has to be timed around maybe medications or in transitions during the day and transitions in FASD or hard so even going to the park requires significant planning not just the planning of all the gear that kids need to go to the park but like where are we going in the park where's the where how fast can he get away from me where would he be gravitating to what time should we go he should be able to play with other kids and he has fun. But if he's having too much fun, I can't transition him out. And if I the transition doesn't go well, that can be a massive meltdown is basically what it would be, or it would be a bolt. Like he would just run. So I'm like chasing this and he's tiny, <laughs> really small, very fast. So again, it's all these like trying to fit into these molds so that it's just constant expectations you're putting on yourself. And I, I, I constantly wonder where it comes from. I do think it's a lot of, if you watch TV shows, you watch commercials. Back in the day, no one cared when celebrities had babies. And all of a sudden, every time a celebrity had a baby, it became very big news. Yeah,
0: that's and, very true.
1: Yeah, and then instantly it was after baby body. Yes. You know, like, it's always, and then, you know, they would do these photo shoots, and these celebrities would talk about how and I don't think it was until like Pink started having kids when she was like, "This shit's hard." I was mm-hmm. like, "Thank you," you know. Like, it's. I think that no matter what we're watching, if you're critically watching it, I'm no expert. This is not my background, but you find yourself like when I see. If you just look up on Pinterest, kids bento lunchboxes, thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands. You go on TikTok. I I don't have TikTok, but somebody I was with, I said just look that up for me. There's parody videos, but most of them are legitimate, very successful TikTok creators and their whole niche is making like fancy lunches for their kids. There's nothing wrong with that. But if that's the images we're being bombarded with, my mock chicken on white bread and Miracle Whip sandwich from when I was a kid is just not going to cut it, you know?
0: (laughs) No, And I feel that now that you're saying that out loud, because I have... I say to my mom all the time, I get real stressed out about food. Food is like a real big thing in our house. My son eats chicken nuggets, peanut butter and jam sandwiches, French fries only from McDonald's. Will not eat a French fry if I made it for him. Yeah, but
1: McDonald's are the best fries so I got to yeah. hold tight with him there.
0: Yeah. I don't blame him either. He's not a dumb kid. <laughs> <laughs> but And then now my daughter is two and she's turning out to be exactly the same. I mean, that's more normal for her age. Like he's four. So he started to grow out of it, but then he gets back into it again. But I like squirm at family dinner, like Thanksgiving this past weekend, I had to like stop myself from thinking that I was the bad mom because he wouldn't eat turkey and gravy and Matt, he didn't want anything. He just was like, I don't like this. And I found myself like arguing with him about it. And it's like, why am I arguing with him? Why don't I just let it go? He can eat a damn peanut butter and jam sandwich. Like if anybody's losing out, it's him because <laughs> he's not eating good. that's an expectation, Amanda. Where does that come from? This is what I have no idea. Thing- I had my mom sitting right next to me and I just said, like, I feel so defeated sometimes when it comes to dinner because I want him to get nutrients and I feel like he doesn't. But my pediatrician reminds me all the time. Yes, he does. He's gaining weight. He's happy. He's thriving. That's great. Yeah. But my mom was like, Amanda, when you were his age, all I could get you to eat was literally cheese and crackers. That's it. <laughs> and I'm like, really? So I'm actually doing better then. <laughs> right. And yeah. And my mom's like, just let it go. Let him eat peanut butter and jam, for breakfast, lunch, dinner, snack. Who cares? Right. And I'm like, yeah, who does care? Why do I care so much? And that's what I mean. I find myself
1: critically thinking all of these things because I watch women when we went on our co-author call again, and we were all talking about what brought us to this project. So many of us. So post-adoption depression is a thing, just like postpartum depression and postpartum anxiety. And we were all talking about how they, some people were like, I refuse to lose myself and I haven't. And I want people to know that. And I was like, that's awesome because you don't, we're not sacrificing our lives here we are we we are choosing to parent the best way we know how and i'm lucky my son is by no means a fussy eater i couldn't get my kid to eat a chicken nugget if he tried he won't touch them he won't he barely eats pizza he's a steak and lobster kind of kid what? but oh yeah he loves food and he I'm has gonna no borrow early. him yeah he'll eat anything but here's the thing you go to family dinners he's too overstimulated no one has really ever watched him eat a meal because he has no interest in it because he can't turn his brain off So when you're at say my sister-in-law's house and he's playing with his cousins and he's having a great time and everybody goes to eat. My nieces and nephew are all great eaters. All of our kids are fantastic eaters, but my kid won't eat. He'll sit there and he'll just be like rocking. Are you guys done yet? We're going to go back and play. We're going to go back and play. I'm not hungry. I'm not hungry. I'm not hungry. I'm not hungry. He's totally hungry. He's actually made himself sick. Like this summer, you know, getting kids out to the lake, and they all wanna be on electronics. And I'm triggered by it. I'm like, my childhood was so awesome. I was with my cousins. We would have been gone. We would have been doing all this stuff and they just wanna play games. And then I'm like, they're happy. They're not being harmed by it. They're getting balance. Why are you ruining your day? But then he wouldn't eat that whole day and he ended up not feeling well. And I knew he was safe and he was fine, but I could not make him eat. He's on that cusp of the age of 12 where, He's gotta be cool with his cousins who are a little bit older and he was just about to eat something and they decided to go for a walk. Well, he had to go with them, you know? And so it's this constant watching, monitoring. I know for me to help manage the expectations is who I've surrounded myself with. There are no Pinterest moms in my crew. I have some moms who are crafty and really enjoy being around kids. I have friends who just love children. I am not a kid person. I like kids that I know. I don't, you know, I'm not a person that like naturally, I love babies. I said to my husband, I can't remember the last time I held a baby, like now I'm craving to hold a baby. It's really weird. But I'm not someone who like when all the nieces and nephews come over, I like to talk to them. I love talking to my nieces and nephew. I mean, they're teenagers now. So it's so much fun to get their perspective on life. It's been fun all the time. But I'm not one who would like want to go out and like do a water balloon fight or or play, or let's do a craft. And my kid hates crafts. He is the kid that will get a piece of one color and go like this. And I'm like this, draw a couple lines and be like, I'm done. Are we done now? Are we done? Are we done? Are we done? Are we done?
0: Like, so not a we're meant to be together. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He's like, he, maybe he's like, my mom don't like crafts. I don't yeah. like crafts. We don't do crafts.
1: Well, and then kids say things sometimes and you just really take it personally. And I don't think they mean it personally. You know, like there was a commercial on TV. My husband's going to kill me for sharing this. He probably won't. listen. It was a commercial on TV and it was to help. It was for a man who had arthritis or something, like an older gentleman, so he could play with his grandkids again if he took this medication. And Owen goes, oh, I wonder if you and dad should take that, like, if so that you can play with me. I'm like, we play with you. And he's like, no, you don't. And then I was like, oh my God, we don't play with him. But then this is what I often, and I when I open about, up about this stuff in our FASD support groups that we run, we are really open, honest, and authentic. And what I found was my husband finally opened up to me. He's like, watch what it's like to play with him. So because of the way his brain operates, you play a game and he's good, he's good at sports, but he's obsessed with winning. And the fixation, he perseverates on winning and he wants to watch everybody else, what they're doing. And he's gonna keep track of everybody else's score. And then when he doesn't start to win, he gets angry. And what those with FASD, especially young kids are, the rules will constantly change. They are very good at parroting and telling you exactly what the rules are. And sometimes they follow them, but they can change them themselves, but no one else is allowed to change them. But then other people look at you and other moms are like, wow, like he's just not, it's not sportsman-like, like he's just not playing fair. Like, no, this is all he knows how to do. And I can try and deescalate him and I can try and get him to walk away. But again, transitions need time and effort they cannot happen abruptly when they happen abruptly i'm doing that because now i'm ticked off and i'm not taking consideration of it it just turns into a gong show like every time you go to play you think is this worth it for him you'll watch him sometimes and he's just so angst ridden and you're like this isn't fun i'm having fun i'm having fun (laughs) that is not
0: like no one's having
1: fun yeah that is not a body or face of someone who's having fun so then I start thinking, Oh, cause I'll watch like friends or people I know or cousins or whatever. And their kids are all playing and the adults are playing with them. And I can feel it off my husband and I, like you want to just sh- like defend yourself. You want to be like, we do that sometimes, but sometimes we don't, we don't do this. And I, now I just shut my mouth. I'm just like, you know what? This is our life. If you, if that's great, if that works for you. And when you see my kid, you know, three times a year, if you enjoy playing with them and my kid enjoys playing with you, but inevitably he doesn't turn off and I'll say, we're, i'll start giving the warnings and i get from the adults all the time he's fine until shit's breaking loose and then everybody's like oh what is that and i'm like it's a transition because no, it's fine. FASD. he's not yeah. fine i know i like, am no saying shit. thank you you know and i think too it's the invisible disability which adds to the expectations that those of us yeah. who parent kids with FASD my kid looks like every other kid talks like every other kid There's only certain situations that you would really understand that there are exceptional things about him. And so people minimize that with parents. They think they're making us feel better. They don't do it on purpose, but they'll be like, oh, he's fine. There's nothing like he's fine. Oh, boys are just like that. Boys are hyper. What are you going to do? I'm like, oh,
0: this is not hyper. It can be almost like they feel like they're reassuring you. Absolutely. But when they don't know the whole picture, it's like, okay, I appreciate it, but... Yep. I'm still going to intervene. I'm mom. Right.
1: Mm-hmm. And I'm way better at that now. And I have gotten as firm as I possibly can. And I always have this, I remember being at the movies and we took my kids to the movies with friends and their kids to see the one star Wars movie. This was several years ago. There was an arcade at the movie theater. And my intuition was like, don't let him play the arcade or we're going to be screwed. He won't walk away from that. Cause it's just, it's like instant stimulation. Right. Oh, so yeah. we got him at because there was another kid there. He kind of followed along, went into the movie He's in the movie. He does not understand inside voice. It does not exist in our world. So he kept asking questions and asking questions. Well, the kids we were with were neurotypical kids, Star Wars obsessed, like to sit still, like to watch a movie. And I could feel it and I could feel it on myself. And I was like, oh my God, he's going to ruin all this. And then, you know, he got a couple shh and he's looking at me like, why are they shushing me? I'm just asking a question because he doesn't understand And so I took him out of the movie theater and he was happier for me to take him out. And then he wanted to play a game and I said, no. And he had the most epic of meltdowns he's ever had in his life. And I was trying to pick him up and it, he was kicking me. He was pulling my hair. This is something he has never done since. And everybody in the movie theater watched me. No one helped me. I couldn't text or call my husband or my girlfriend because it was a movie. So their phones were off and put away. No one came looking for me. It was packed movie theater. It's after Christmas, and this woman walked by me and she's like, "It gets better as they get older. My kid used to do that too." And I was like, mm, "Great. I don't even know how I'm bringing this down. It was so bad." But with FASD, the change can come really quickly, right? This massive epic meltdown, and for him, it's like it's over. I had like almost like a hangover from that for like two days. When I had said, "I don't know if we should go to the movie." I didn't listen to my intuition. And so part of how I manage those expectations now is when my gut, my intuition or my knowing tells me, no, I do know. And people can say, oh, just try it. You don't know until you try. The answer is no. So yeah, I'm like, So That's good. Yeah. And that I actually gave myself credit for that. That happened. And at first I was like, are you trying to tell me how to parent? Like, that's your first instinct. It's like, are you kidding me right now? And I stopped myself. I'm like, that's just what that person does. There's no ill intent. But I have been able to model enough for everybody else around me to see that when I have my voice on and I mean business, I know him better than anyone. And when shit goes south and it hits the fan, I'm the one that's dealing with it. So if I am in trying to stop that from happening, it's none of your business and it's my business. So I've managed expectations that way. I've learned to just when I'm when I'm done, I'm done when he's done, he's done. You know, there were many a times where I wasn't ready to walk away from the gathering because I'm like, I just want to be with everybody else and having fun. Doesn't serve him, doesn't serve me. I do whatever I need to do for me. I really encourage authentic conversation. Like if you, I was talking to two other moms of kids with FASD and I have not laughed so hard in such a long time. And I said something, I'm like, look, I was a yeller. Like I really had to learn to stop yelling. I was raised in a generation where parents yelled. And there's no shame in it, but there was so much shame there was so I carried a lot of shame for a long time. I still go,
0: yep. Uh it gets I make I, I like wanna, beat myself up on the regular for it. I'll do better tomorrow, I'll do better tomorrow. And it's like, well, they're not gonna die if they get yelled at. Right. And I don't and yell for no. no reason. Right. <laughs> and it does
1: for me, I can't say to everybody, but it got better when I started as he got a little bit older and our communication skills between each other improved, I really noticed that it got a bit better. I mean, I had a meltdown with my father in his kitchen one day. I'm like, I'm a total monster. He's like, why do you say that all the time? I'm like, listen to me. I'm a monster. He's like, no, you're frustrated. My dad, my dad doesn't say anything about my dad is so chill and quiet. He's like, if anybody wants an opinion, they can come and do this with you for three hours straight. And see if they've got anything they can say. And that doesn't just go for special needs kids. That goes for everybody. You don't know what people's kids are like. Who cares what you think about someone else's kids? If you leave the house, you're like, wow, that kid screamed for three hours. That wouldn't have flown in my house. Then it wouldn't have flown in your house. Leave it. Mm -hmm. If that's what works in their house, you know, as long as they're polite enough to people. and they. But every kid is different, right? I started to really, when I was talking to these moms, I said, you know, I'm a yeller. And I'm not proud of it. And I've carried a lot of guilt about that. And this one mom starts telling me this story about how she (laughs) lost it on her kid and her kid's dad when she went to pick her kid up at his dad's house. And then the other mom's like, one day it was so bad. She goes, I ran around in the summer closing all the windows because we're just having it out because their son lived with an FASD and he was hitting the teen years. And it was just so escalated. The three of us are telling each other these stories of our shame, but laughing so hard. Streaming down my face, and I was like, This was the simplest, easiest conversation. I felt safe. I opened a door. They both looked at me like, Oh, you're feeling shame? No, this is what I've done, and it just leveled the playing field. And that was the moment where I was like, See, if we all can just say what we need to say, and if you don't agree, remember, like if you have nothing nice to say, don't say it at all, you know? Like if I'm che- teaching my kid to do something cruel, I expect someone to up but if you know my kid just started using phone calls and uh he had it on speaker he's a little like there's a behavior delay so maturity delay rather so I don't let him have things that other 12 year olds would already have because I know that I'm opening up that vulnerability and he was on the phone with a friend and he has it on speaker I don't tell him not to take it on speaker if he's gonna leave it on speaker and uh he said to his friend oh that's okay it's my mom she's always listening she listens to everything I do
0: <laughs> like, yeah, damn straight. Yeah, Mom I has eyes and ears on the back of her head. Ears, eyes, everywhere. Yep. We are everywhere.
1: <laughs> I know. And he still believes it. This is the beauty of the dismaturity of FASD. He cannot, <laughs> he thinks it's amazing how I always know what he's doing. And I'm like, yeah, it's just I can't explain it. Can't explain it. It's just something just I can am like always-
0: Santa Claus magic. Yep. Mom. Pure magic. magic. Well, I was gonna ask you what your advice was for other moms, but I feel like you covered it and all of those tips that you just gave, like having those honest conversations and stop giving into what other people are saying and how you were talking about, you know, how you, I don't want to say you let go of the selfish piece of you, but like how you were saying you didn't want to leave like family events. Well, that is something like on the bit on the selfish side. Like I want to stay here. So we'll put up with this, but you become a bit more selfless because you realize nobody wins here. Yeah, it's going to suck for me because I want to be with my family. But the thing that's best for me is we're both going to go. Right. So those tips, those are awesome tips. Sorry, they're not easy to do. No. But I think if you practice day to day, and like what you said about mom gut, it's real. And in your situation, I think even realer, right? Like you just know. And I don't even really know if you compare the two like differently. I think it's the same thing. Like it's mother's intuition. It's a real thing. Like you just know, no, we're not going into that arcade because shit's going to hit the fan. You were right. It did. And it sucks when you don't listen to your mom gut. I hate when I don't listen to my mom gut, but I've literally been woken up in the middle of the night for no reason at all. And I'll just like listen to breathing on the monitor. So yep. my kids get crazy high fevers too. So I feel you on that. It's, it's like crazy, the most right? stressful frigging thing in the world. But I'll be like, I'll go over to my husband. Do you think he's breathing funny? And he'll be like, I don't know. And I'm like, I think he has a fever. And then he's like, you think he has a fever? I'm like, yeah. And then I go and I'm like 105.5. Yep. I'm like, yeah, the mother F has a fever of almost 106. Cause that's yep. what he does. But I, you know, so it's like, I've literally been woken up in the night for no reason. I don't have to pee, nothing. And I'm just like. Me too. Hmm. hmm. I think I I, uh, did a,
1: I did an Instagram post probably close to, I don't know. It was before the pandemic. That's how life is now. Before pandemic and during pandemic. Um, and I did a post um, and I just said, you know, special needs parents, I see you. Today was a day where I wish I would have listened to my gut and I didn't. And I knew something was going on at school, but I was trying to weigh it like is he exaggerating it for me and he had a really bad day and i carry those with me because i take my job as his advocate very very seriously i think that advocacy and your intuition when you're really in it go hand in hand but every every parent is different and every journey is different what i really found helpful for me is i love instagram I was required to go off work in 2017 uh, by my doctor. I posted about it on Instagram for World Mental Health Day. And I took six months off, I left my job and took six months off. And in that six months, I discovered Instagram, but I specifically started to find people that I could relate to. So you can only I only follow people if I learn something productive from you. And that could be like gardening, I don't know, I don't, it's not really gardening, but you know, um, there's a great woman that does really cool DIY home decor stuff that I really love. It's like soothing for me. She's out in Calgary, so I follow her. But what most
0: kind of, people, of is like you're surrounding yourself. Like you said, you like to surround yourself with like-minded people or positive right. people, people that are lifting you up. It's the same with your, with your feed, right? Right. So you want to have that.
1: And it has to be people that can educate me or inspire me or help like level my brain up a bit. And I found that by Instagram, I was introduced to mindset work and I was introduced to exercise. So I, you know, was introduced through Instagram to like lifestyle changes and exercising and all of those things. And, you know, I don't use Instagram for like, I use my social media. Like I use like Facebook is where family is and stuff. Right. Instagram is my thing. It's like I have cousins and stuff who follow me there, but I also use it so that it's where I feel connected I have met some moms and parents of people kids living with FASD it is like been life-changing for me there's a particular woman in BC and her son and my son are so similar no two people with FASD are the same but there's a lot of similarities My our experiences are the same and so we share a lot of information about share a lot of information about our journey or like if I haven't seen her for a while on Instagram I just pop a message like a check-in Because sometimes that's what we do in our FASD community. There are times where you're riding the wave, and then there are times where you're like, everybody, get out of my, get out of my, get off my wave. This wave is Mm -hmm. over. You can leave me alone. I don't want to talk to you. I don't want to hear about FASD. If you say it, I could just like throat punch you. So uh, we tend to check in on each other there. And it's been, you know, the other day I got a message from a a man whose son lives with FASD and his wife has challenges. And he said, you know, if I'm so thankful for your page, there's nobody else out here that I'm finding like this. And I'm like, go through the people that I follow because I do have a lot of FASD, but I have to balance it because I don't want to have my whole feed with FASD. Like I have a whole life outside of this FASD world. I mean, it's my now going to be my work world and my personal world. But I find like other moms like you and Courtney and Mumfident, and I find really funny people like you know, I love Chelsea Handler, I get a kick out of her on the daily. Amy Schumer, like smart, funny, witty women, I think that's a huge way of managing expectations. Yeah, knowing self care is a huge part of managing expectations, knowing what you'll put up with and what you won't put up with, and where your boundaries are. I think that's a constant life practice. I will tell you, once you hit 40, it gets a lot easier.
0: Yeah. You know what? I'm not 40. So I'm about to be 32 on Friday.
1: Awesome. Oh, happy early birthday. You got a ways to go, but you're already like light years ahead.
0: But I feel that way. Like I'm only going to be 32, but I feel like since I turned 30, like don't mess with me. I know. I feel like 20s, I was so timid and I cared so much about what people think and don't get me wrong. I do struggle with the, like what other people think, But about myself first. Yeah. Now way more. So I agree with you. And I, I said that to my husband, I'm like, I feel like when I'm 40, I'm gonna be like a goddamn rock star. You will. <laughs> and that's what I see
1: online too. Now more and more women, the stuff, because women are speaking up more and being more honest, like even the Burt's papaya, she just says stuff and everybody, sure. She gets a lot of hate, terrible comments, but at the same time, like she posts something and not even 30 minutes later, thousands, hundreds of thousands, thousands of women are like, Oh my God, this is me. I didn't know this. Did you, this happened to you too? Is that mm-hmm. like, let's normalize conversations everywhere for women, especially, and for moms. Mm-hmm. And like I say, the support group that we run for caregivers, I think we're kind of breaking a mold. We're doing the format is different. We're giving people space. When people say things, you can tell they don't want to say them. And it's like, just say it. And they're like, I'm going to say this and I don't care if you guys don't like me for it. And then we just sit and go, yeah, we've all been there. And that oh goes God. for everything, right? Like it's a lot. Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. Well, you do need to tell my followers, mm-hmm. my followers, my listeners, we got so stuck on the Instagram world. I was thinking, followers. <laughs> <laughs> my listeners, please like, advertise yourself because if you guys want to check out an Instagram page very much like what Michelle is talking about someone who is just real about motherhood real about her struggles but also very very positive you got to check out her page
1: oh well I appreciate that so my um my name is Michelle Hughes my um Instagram handle I was going to say title because that's my age showing it's the underscore mrs mrs underscore Hughes underscore. So Hughes is H U G as in George H E S. But if you search Michelle Hughes, you should get there.
0: Awesome. Well, I appreciate everything we talked about. I seriously, I'm cutting us off. That's
1: right. I think that's a good you, idea,
0: Amanda. We could talk forever. And I'm just so pumped that you're writing in this book because you just have so much experience. You have so much to say. And I feel like you've experienced so much that you're just going to be a really big voice for moms everywhere, whether their child has special needs or not, because we all, you have other challenges that maybe I don't have, but we have the same expectations on ourselves and you know, you're just killing it. You're really normalizing it and just keep talking about what you're talking about because you are making a difference and there's going to be moms that are going to be like, wow, look at her! she does. it so simple. I'm just going to do what she does. And you know, you've done it for a while. So you've really worked on it, but they'll, other moms will see that and they'll start working on it. And then they're going to be like, yeah, she was right.
1: And same with your, like your podcast and inviting people in from all of these different realms to talk about things that are really hard, Amanda. These are things that people don't want to talk about. Mm-hmm. And even if they can't talk about them on Instagram or with their friends, they can listen to this in their car or when they're doing housework and stuff and feel a lot less alone and I think that's the amazing thing that you're doing like I am really excited about this author project I'm hoping COVID's over and by the time we we relaunch launch the book we can have like an in-person launch yes. party so we can actually see Champagne each other
0: toast
1: that's right
0: yeah no we need to because there is a huge group of powerful women writing in this book. So it's
1: awesome. So we'll all be promoting the crap out of that next year. But I thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure and an honor. I've really enjoyed
0: it. Oh, thank you so, so much. And guys, thanks so much again for tuning in. And I will talk to you very, very soon.